when I was a kid, I used to go to a church. And they'd, they'd do a thing where they'd say, hey, we're going to do testimonies. Who wants to give a testimony? And they had testimony time, like every Sunday. And these people would get up there, and they'd go, I don't have any food in my cabinets. And they always talked with a southern accent, so I'm trying not to do that. But they go, I can't help it. Well, I don't have any food in my cabinets. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I just, I'm just starving to death. I don't know what's gonna, how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to get by. But I'm just a trusting in the Lord. I'm just a trusting in the Lord. No, they're not. They're not trusting in the Lord. I mean, come on, guys. What kind, of, what kind of bad Christians would we be if somebody stood up in this church and said, I don't have any food. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we didn't try to help them. They weren't trusting the Lord. They were trusting in the generosity of the people of the church to help them, which is okay. If you need help, ask. We'll help you. But if you're trusting God, trust God. See, I wasn't doing a testimony like that. Nobody knew we needed food except my wife and I. Our kids didn't know. We knew because we gave them food. My wife came to me, and she said, you know what? She said, I don't have to eat, and you don't have to eat, but our kids have to eat. See, this was the testing ground for us, proving whether God was real for us or not. And she said, the first meal that my kids miss, the first time that our kids don't eat, I'm calling my daddy. And he's going he's gonna to come get me, and then you can figure out how to get all our stuff back home. And you know what I said to her? I said, you know what? Our kids are not going to miss a meal. And the first meal that our kids miss, you don't have to call your daddy. I'll pack up all of our stuff, and I'll drive you back home. Because here's the deal, and this is what I told her. I believe that God has called me into the ministry. I believe that God has called me to follow him in a radical way. And if God can't meet my needs here in the beginning, then I missed it. This is what I said. Then I missed it then I misunderstood what I heard God say. God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches, but if he doesn't meet my needs here, it's because I'm not on his plan or on his path that he's called for my life. So I missed it because if I truly heard God, he's going to meet my needs. And I said, we will not miss a meal. We didn't from that point on. Now, some of our meals were macaroni, noodles, and butter. That was it because we got a whole bunch of macaroni noodles somehow. I don't even know how. Macaroni noodles and butter. And you know what? Sometimes we, we, it's amazing. It's a, it amazes me what we put up with. It amazes me what we put up with. But I was learning about authority. I was learning about God's provision. I was learning about walking a life following him and trusting in him. And you know what? We were okay eating macaroni noodles and butter. We did that for about a week. I think on the eighth or ninth day after macaroni noodles and butter, we ran out of butter. And my awesome wife, my God-fearing, amazing wife, didn't complain. She didn't moan. She didn't groan. She said, God is faithful. Our kids are eating. We're, we're okay. God is faithful. And so she fixed dinner, and she sit it down and be macaroni, noodles, and butter. And I didn't say, oh, baby, this old macaroni, noodles, and butter thing again. I knew we didn't have nothing. I've been looking for jobs. I've been over there. And during, actually, during this time, I was working with a guy who I worked and did a whole bunch of work, and he never paid me for. I worked for two months, spent all the rest of the money we had on gas to get to the job, and he never paid me. So we're in a low spot. And, and my wife sits down at the table, and she just all smiles. She sits down. She's like, I fixed dinner, honey. Dinner's ready. I'm like, okay, thanks, baby. We sit down. We sit down, and I have a bowl of macaroni noodles. And I go, where's the butter? She goes, we're out of butter. 
Man, I'll tell you something inside of me snapped. Something in my heart snapped. I got so angry. Not at God. I got angry at the devil. I got so angry, and all I could say was, I hate you, devil. I hate you, devil. I hate you, devil. I said, in Jesus' name, we are blessed. It's like I said, it's amazing what we put up with. I was okay eating macaroni, noodles, and butter for eight days, but you take the butter away. (laughs) You just got some noodles now. I could have called on God the first day. But we learn these things as we walk. We learn and grow together as we follow God. We learn these things. I didn't know. I didn't know some of the things I know now. I would have done it differently then, and we would have been blessed in the beginning. But I didn't know. So I just began to say, I hate you, devil. I hate you, devil. And I said, I am blessed in Jesus' name. We will have food. She's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm not eating this. We're going to church. We went to church. That was the first time we came home. And I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. We had boxes and cases and bags. We had more groceries than we could get into our, into our cabinets on our front porch. And for us, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God and he is alive, and he cares for his people. If we will have the temerity and the tenacity to ask, to pursue, he will provide. So you know what we did? (laughs) We didn't have any money. We understood this principle of giving. Oh, here comes the pastor talking about money. Yeah, I didn't have any money. What do you do when you don't have money? Because all the preachers were preaching, if you don't give money, God can't bless you. So if I listen to their baloney, there's no way I could get out of this situation. So you know what we did? We had food. We were in Bible school, so we invited all the Bible, all my class, we invited all these classmates up to our house for dinner, and we had a feast. And we pretty much went through half our food that we had feeding all all the people from school. And you know why? Because we were honoring God, the only thing we had to give back was to, to sow food into these people. So we brought them up. Oh, we, just didn't, we just told them God is good. We didn't even tell them where we'd been, didn't tell them what was going on. We just said, we just want to love you guys. And we just fed them. And then God would provide miraculously, and we'd feed people. And God would provide, and we would feed. You know, in the scripture, when I read it, it says that he provides seed to the sower and bread for food. We just got to obey him. We gotta take him at his word. See, there's two kingdoms out there. I'm supposed to be in Ephesians. I am in my heart. There's two kingdoms out there, guys. There's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God doesn't operate like the kingdom of the world. And God calls us to do things not like the world calls us to do things. Listen, when we went out to go to Bible school, our families basically told us we were going to go out there and die. And, and, and even the Christians in our families told us we were stupid, we missed God, we're going to go die. Woohoo! Great encouragement. Our church family told us, to, don't come back. If you're going to go, you're stupid, don't come back. We went and believed God. We trusted him. I mean, I've seen miracles happen. I've seen things happen. What do you do? What do you do? I got up one day. We didn't have money still. I get in my truck. It's on empty. I got to go to school. Now, getting to school is no problem because we lived up in Woodland Park, Colorado, and the school I went to was in Manitou Springs. And if you've ever been out there, no, it was actually, well, it was in Colorado Springs, but it was half a mile out of Manitou. Um, I could basically get out of my driveway Put it in neutral, coast all the way down. One, one point I had to put it in gear and, and climb a mountain like a little hill and then put it in neutral. I could coast 18 miles down to the school. 
but then I got to get back up the mountain. We lived at 8,500 feet, so I had to come a couple thousand, couple thousand feet or whatever altitude up a pass in the mountains to get home. The truck I had was an old truck, and it used a lot of gas, a lot of gas. It usually took me a quarter of a tank to get home. So I got in my truck one day. I got out there, and there was, there was no gas. So you know what I did? I said, I laid my hands on my truck, and I said, God, I thank you that you called me to come to this school, God. He'd already been giving us food. He'd already been meeting our needs. My faith was already being boosted. And I laid hands on my truck, and I said, Father, I thank you called me to come to this school. And, Lord, you're going to provide what we have need of. So, God, I don't know what else to do. Has anybody, have you ever been where you don't know what else to do? I said, I don't know what else to do, God. I just have to trust you. This sounds radical, but it's normal Christianity because we've not seen normal Christianity modeled. We think when somebody takes a stand of faith that it's radical. And God is saying, I'm calling my people to trust me. And as soon as you make a bold statement, your brothers and sisters in church will say, that won't happen. Because we've not seen normal Christianity modeled when anybody takes a step. We call it radical faith. Brothers and sisters, this ought not be. These should be normal stories, not radical stories. The rest of the world looks at our churches and they go, eh, no thanks, because there's no power. Coronavirus is freaking everybody out and the church is just as scared. These things ought not be. My Bible says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. It says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not difficult, not, not kind of hard. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Yet when someone makes a statement of faith, we call it radical when it's baby step normal Christianity. So I laid hands on my truck. I prayed over it. I drove down the mountain, and I would be lying to you if I said I didn't put it in neutral and coast all the way down, because I did. The motor was running, though, and I put it in neutral because it's hard to steer power steering down the mountain pass without your motor running, just in case you wondered. And, and so I went down the, to there, but I knew I had to get back in my truck and drive back home. I laid hands on my truck after school. I said, God, I thank you. Here's the real rubber meeting the road for my heart and where I was at. Because I could get down, but up is a different matter. I said, God, I thank you. You called me to come to the school, and Lord, I've done all I know to do, so I trust you, God. You're going to provide what I need. And I got in that startup and drove back home. Again, I didn't have a job, so I didn't have to <laughs> go anywhere else. I wanted one. I just couldn't get one. And so I'm, I go back home the next day. I get in my truck, lay hands on my truck. God, I thank you. You've called me here, and I'm worshiping all the way. I'm praying. I'll tell you, if you don't have a prayer life, this will get you a prayer life. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm praising, I'm just rejoicing and getting down there. You know, we sing a song, sing louder than the unbelief. Yeah, I did that, man. 
My mind's saying, what are you doing, dum-dum? And my heart's going, I trust you, God. I'm just as loud as I can sing, stereo all the way up, praising God. Because I know if I quit praising, my brain's going to start saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So I praised louder than the unbelief. Got out of school the next day, laid hands on it, did it. You know what? For an entire month, for one month, I drove to school every day back and forth with no fuel in my vehicle. Every day, I had to lay hands on it and thank God for his provision, and I would go to my class. You know how easy it would have been if I would have been like, God, I thank you for your provision, and we saw the fuel gauge go whoop. See, that's what we expect when we're talking about believing God, that I'm going to pray for something, and all of the bad stuff's going to go away, and it's just going to be like, oh, it's bam, there's it is. I have a full tank. But it wouldn't have taken any faith for me to get back home if he'd have filled up my tank. Eventually, when I ran it out, because it took about four days to run that tank out, I would have been like, okay, God, I thank you. You did it once. You'll do it again. But you know what? God didn't do that. He said, I want faith. I'll provide. Will you trust? I said, God, I'll do it. Every day. And after a month, God changed our circumstances. We began to get some money. I got a job. Actually, my wife got a job. She said, if you can't get a job, I'll go get a job. I can get a job. She went out and got the first job. First job. First job. Like, I've been to McDonald's. They're like, no. I've been to Taco Bell. They're like, no. Walmart's like, no. I mean, I've been everywhere. I've been to Aldi's. I've been, I've been everywhere. I've been to construction companies. I, I, you, you, I'm just telling you, man, I beat the door down everywhere. They're like, here comes that guy again. My wife's like, I'll get a job goes and gets her first job. And I'm like, God, way to help my manhood. Here I am supposed to be providing for my wife and my kids. Can't get a job. My wife's got a job. And God was like, I thought I was your provider. He said, when you learn to trust me as your, as your provider, I'll give you a job. My wife's up here whispering. I get, <laughs> She's saying, I got him a job. She did. I went to work for her at a daycare. That wasn't what I was called to do, but God provided it. And through there, I could tell you story after story of miracle that happened just from that. I mean, we have so many testimonies in our lives. Listen, guys, I don't even know why this service is like this, but it is. Every one of our kids, do you trust him with your kids? Every one of our kids had something when they were born that they should have died from. Right? Every one of them? Not right when they were born, but within their first, in their first year, within their first year, every one of them had something they should have died from. Like for real. Not just, oh, that was a close call. I mean, like, they should die from it. God is good. I remember one time in particular, we were, we were, we were up there, and, and Camry, which is the one daughter I have that doesn't go to church here because she's in school in Emporia, Kansas, and she got malaria, and um, you're like, what, malaria? Yeah, she got malaria, and she was, how old was she? Do you remember? Huh? She was under a year, under a year old. I don't remember. I think she was like six months old or something like that. So she's like six months old. She has malaria. And basically, the doctors are like, uh, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing. You, she's going to die. There's nothing we can do. So we take her home. We're like, 
crazy people because we have her at home, right? People, oh, she needs to be at Y. They already called her dead. The doctors are going to, she's going to die. There's no hope from them for, for the age she was with malaria. Like, it didn't happen. During the same time, there was like four or five infants around that same age that, that died from this. And they, they tracked it down to like squirrels or something had it and somehow was doing blah, blah, blah. We don't even know. But she had it. And I remember my wife, such, like, I'll think about being a mom, you know. I don't know what that's like, but I've witnessed it. I know what it's like being a dad. I don't know what it's like having that child grow in me and come out of me and, and the connection that you have from that. But I know as a dad, it's a great connection, but it's deeper, I think, as a mom. And moms would say, yeah, but you don't know what it's like to be a dad, so it's not fair either. <laughs> but I really do think it's a deeper connection. And I saw her as a mom with all of everything she had, and she said, honey, I need you to I'll come in here and you need to pray over Camry. Like, you got to pray, you got to pray, baby. You got to come pray. I said, all right, I'm going to come pray. I went in there. I grabbed Camry from my wife because she had her in a rocking chair rocking her. I said, let me see her. I took her. And I said, Father, I thank you that Camry is healed in Jesus' name. I curse malaria by, by the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that she is healed. In Jesus' name. And that was my prayer pretty much. And I put her in her crib and I said, she's healed. And I turned around and walked out. Now, I could tell you, I don't think my wife has ever been more mad at me. I seriously don't think my wife has ever been more mad at me than she was in that moment. Because when it was real, when it was rubber meets the road, and she really needed somebody to pray, to her, I just flippantly said this little prayer and walked away. I used to also drive her crazy because we had bills. We couldn't pay our bills. We had all these bills to pay. I'd say, let me have all the bills, baby. I'll, I'll take care of these for you. She'd give me all the bills. I'd open up this Bible. I'd put the bills right here, and I'd close it, and I'd say, God's got a problem, and I'd walk away. And in the beginning, I'm not trying to tell her, in the beginning, that used to drive her crazy because she felt like I didn't care. She felt like I, didn't, I wasn't communicating with her, but I was actually going, no, there's nothing I can do about it. I've done all I can do, God. You've got this. And I could tell you testimonies of how God's got it, like God, God got it. One time, I haven't forgot about Camry yet, but one time I had my wife, I said, I want you to put all our bills together. I want you to get a list together of every bill that we have, and I want you to also put in there what we need to live for the next three months. Every bill to get caught up. Understand, we're behind everything. Like, they're shutting down our electric. They're shutting down everything. We're about to get evicted. I mean, all, all this stuff's going on. I'm like, I need everything that we need to get caught up, and then I need the next three months. Everything. So she sits down and puts it all together, gets it all together. I said, thank you. I put it in my Bible. I said, all right, God, you got a problem. I said, I thank you, God, that you are bigger than what's the matter. You are God. You're in control. I go to Bible school, and I'm just worshiping God and praising the Lord. The first hour, we always did worship and stuff like that. And I'm in there just worshiping, worshiping God and, and praising God. And uh, Actually, I, I, I missed a part. When I got to school, one of the instructors there, his name was Don Crow, comes up to me and goes, hey, Brother, come here. I want to talk to you. So I go there. I was like, yes, yeah, Mr. Crow. And he was like, I've been praying about you. And he said, I just want to know what, what, uh, what, what needs do you have right now? What, what, what's your, I want to know your most pressing need. What is your most pressing need? And I just looked at him, and I just sat there and thought for a minute. you, you got to understand we had so many. I didn't even know. And I just said, I said, 
I said, Don, I don't even know, man. Like, it's not that we don't have needs. We have needs. It's just we have so many. I don't know what the most pressing one is. He's like, well, just give me your most pressing one. I feel like God is speaking to my heart. I said, you know what? I said, if God told you I need something, he could tell you what I need. And I walked away. Because I was believing God for real. So I was in worship, just worshiping for an hour, just in the presence, just having this amazing time, just praising God. We get down with worship. I look down on my Bible, and there's an envelope on my Bible. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. I open it up, and Don Crow had written a check. I just freaked out. I opened my Bible up, pulled out that paper, and it was the exact amount that was on that paper to the penny. I mean, to the penny. It was the number on this paper to the penny. And I just was like, <laughs> I mean, I just freaked out. You know, you're like, in faith. I almost did it again. You're in faith, man. And you're believing God, but when he comes, you can't help it because he's so good. He's so amazing. Like, I, I wasn't even hoping for something that amazing. I just knew God was going to take care of me. And it was to the penny what I asked for. God is good. I ran out there, and I grabbed Don, and I just hugged him. And he's, like, trying to peel me off of him because I'm, like, crying and wrapped around him and stuff. And he's just, like, doing this, like, finally gets, gets me off of him. And I'm like, you don't understand, brother. You don't understand. And I'm showing the paper, look, look, it's all our bills. He's like, okay. I was like, to the exact number, man, look, look. And he goes, I thought you said if God told me that you had a need, he could tell me what it was. Is God God or not? And I was like, whoo. <laughs> I said, I want to be like that guy. That's what I said back then. I want to be like that guy. I want to follow him as he follows Christ. I got, it was so awesome, got to go home that day, baby. Actually, we had friends that went to school, and I called her and said, ride down the hill with our friend, and we're going to celebrate, and we had this awesome time. God met our needs. We're sitting in this room. I walked out of the room, and my wife, I'm telling her story, but it's fine, right? Okay, and so we're sitting there, and we prayed for Camry, and I said, Lord, I thank you, she's healed, and I put her in her crib, and I walked out, and my wife scooped her up, was very mad at me, because this is the time you pray. This is the time you pray. You know what I come to, I've come to learn? Most of our prayer isn't faith, it's fear. Most of our fervent prayer is we're masking our fear by spiritual words, because we're so overcome with what may happen that we're hoping that we're, our, our prayer life will speak louder than where our faith level is. I've learned that myself from experiencing it. And so my wife was just rocking this baby and crying and rocking this baby and crying and rocking this baby and crying and rocking this baby. And she had like 104 or something like that, 104, 100, 106 temperature. Um, again, the doctor said she's dead. And we're just rocking her. Why are we? I'm in bed sleeping. She's in there rocking her and rocking her. About 3 o'clock in the morning, three between 3, 3.30 in the morning, she was praying, and she was asking God with tears, and she was saying, hey, God, why won't you heal my baby? Why won't you heal my baby? God, why won't you heal my baby? And she's just rocking her, and the Lord spoke to her very clearly and said, I will, I want to, but you're in the way. You have to get out of the way. 
And so she said, my wife said the hardest thing she's ever done in her life was to say yes. And she got up and she said, God, I'm trusting you with my child. And she kissed that baby and she put the baby in the crib and came and went to bed. Needless to say, before the rooster crowed, my wife was awake. <laughs> and she was waking me up. Let's go check on the baby. We run in there and we check on her. And she is totally healed. All traces of the illness was gone. All parts were gone. Totally healed. We serve a miracle-working God. And as we close, I'm going to read two verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is not talking to, unbeliever, or to unbelievers. This is talking to Christians. Ephesians was written to the believers in the church in Ephesus. And if you don't believe me, then go over to uh, Romans 13. Same author, expounding on the thought he's sending to this church, to the church in Rome, he writes, Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is, how it is high time now for you to awake up from your sleep, roused to reality. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning to tell you that there is a, a reality of a kingdom that is more real than what we see, touch, or feel. There is a kingdom, it's the kingdom of God, and it is more real. It says in, in uh, what is it, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, it says, For this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, or temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. God is calling us to begin to come to him and take him at his word, to stop looking at the natural world as what is the real thing and what, is, what the world says is what we have to have, but he wants us to trust him and step out in faith and believe him to get out of the way and say, yes, God, I believe you, I trust you. In your personal life, the decisions that you make on a day-to-day -day basis, how many of those decisions do you bring before the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Or are you going through your life making your own choices and doing your own thing in your own way? Or are you bringing God into the situation and obeying him even when it looks like it can't be him because trouble's ahead? The Bible says that anyone who desires to live godly will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. See, most of us just put a period right there, and we stop that verse, and we go, oh, we have tribulation. And we pick up our phone, or we get on Facebook, and we start spewing junk about the tribulation that we're in. We, we just go to other things. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's not a surprise to God. You know what the rest of the verse says? But be of good cheer. 
that's a command. No matter what's going on in your life, be of good cheer. Everybody's freaking out about the coronavirus right now. You know the first thing I said when I heard about the coronavirus? The first thing I said is, why don't we say at Echo Church, if you come to Echo Church, you won't get the coronavirus. And if you get the coronavirus, if you come to Echo Church, we'll lay hands on you, you will pray, and the power of the Holy Spirit will heal you, and you don't have to have this disease. You know, half the churches in this city closed their service today. I'm not, like, indicting them. I'm not trying to be that way. Listen, I'm not judging them, but I'm telling you, listen to me, and I do mean this with all my heart, and if I get corrected later, I get corrected, but I'm telling you, there's a problem in our churches when we bow our knee to the powers and fears of the world the same way the world does instead of bowing our knee to God and proclaiming the power of a living and risen Savior. If the church doesn't stand, who will? If the church doesn't believe, who will? In your life, if you don't press into God, who will? The miracle you're believing for, the change you've been wanting, the things that you've been asking God to do, he says, I will. Get up and follow me. This Christian walk, I begin to say, though salvation is freely available, it will cost you everything. You must submit your heart and life and obey him as your Lord and Savior. And follow him. The Bible says they that know the Lord will be mighty and shall do exploits. I told you a few stories today. Because I felt like that's what the Lord told me to do. But listen, some of these stories were a long time ago. But if I had the time, I could tell you some stories. Pastor J.R. and I were in a car riding together. Jason and J.R. and I were in a car riding together. And we were headed up to South Dakota. And we were doing this on purpose, and we said, hey, let's just share our testimonies. And they said, Tim, share your testimony. I said, I'm not going first. So everybody started sharing their testimony. And I said, all right, I'm going to share my testimony. What did it take, eight hours? <laughs> we're still not done. Eight hours got me to 15 years ago. I told testimonies for eight hours of what I've seen God do, not what I've done, what I've seen God do for eight hours in a car with these men. It's not about me. It's about him for eight hours straight, story after story after story. And I said, now, JR, Jason, JR, that gets us to 15 years ago. Sometime we'll sit down and we can tell the next six, seven, eight hours of the, the last 15 years. Again, it's not about me. All I did was, I was, a, I was a person nobody would pick, guys. I was not the first choice. I was not. In fact, some of the things I've, I've seen God do, I've literally told, had God tell me, you weren't my first choice. You're like, oh, didn't that hurt your heart? Why would that hurt my heart? I know I wasn't the best choice. Sometimes I was his only choice. I saw him move in miraculous ways, and I sat there, and I was on my knees watching him just radically change this whole conference. I was at five churches, radically change. People who were fighting physically, literally fighting each other, beating each other up, were on their faces, hugging and loving each other with tears, and families were being restored, and people's lives were being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because of a message that God preached through me. And I sat there on my knees watching this, weeping, going, God, why me? He said, because the others I asked didn't come, and you said yes. I don't know how many others there were, but apparently there were several that he went to, and they didn't respond, and he came to me, and I feel like I was the least. In fact, this conference, it was the first time I had really preached, really preached. 
I mean, really preached. The first message was terrible. That was bad. But when I got there, you know why? I got to close this up, and then I'll finish this thought, and then I'll close it up. Because I had been in Colossians chapter 1 and 2. I had been in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 for eight months before I went on this missions trip. And I got so angry because I couldn't understand. I'm doing this because I would walk around my house like this praying in tongues. And some of you don't believe in tongues. Sorry. But I was walking around going, I just believe I'm going to interpret God. You're going to show me your word. I did all everything I know to do. I get mad. Part of the reason this Bible's tore up is because I throw it. It's a true story. I get angry and I throw my Bible. God, I'm the stupidest person. I'm the dumbest Christian. I throw my Bible. I'm not reading no more. And for a day or two, I wouldn't. Then he'd gently and methodically draw my heart. I'd come back and I'd pick up the word. Fine, I'm not reading Colossians 2 anymore. I'm going to Romans. I'd get over to Romans. I would literally get a paragraph in and the words would go blank. I couldn't see them anymore. All I saw was white. I'd flip to Colossians, I could read every word. I'd flip back to Romans, white, empty pages. Shut my Bible and throw it. (laughs) That's how I responded. It wasn't like, oh, this is amazing. It was like, no, this is torment. Why? Because I didn't understand something about God. I didn't understand his plan. I didn't understand timing. I didn't understand that everything that we want to happen now doesn't, isn't supposed to happen now. There's a timing in his plan and his process. And I didn't understand God's plan and his timing. And so in the right timing, I was in Mexico and I was at this conference that I was called to preach at. Actually, I wasn't supposed to preach at all. I was just going to carry people's suitcases. And the preacher had a supernatural experience where he saw an angel and the angel spoke to him and told him that God said for me to preach at his church. So I ended up preaching at this church. They started a five-night conference and invited five churches to this, which this pastor was over. I preached my first message in that church. It was called the integrity of the word. It was all right. There's nothing wrong with that. You can't really go wrong with the integrity of the word. After that service, the guy that was supposed to be preaching, he was the preacher, he was like, well, that wasn't too bad. I'm like, no, that wasn't good at all. He was like, no, it really wasn't too bad. I said, look, dude, I don't need, I'm not saying it was bad so you can pat my shoulder. I'm telling you, that is not what God wants me to preach. He says, well, what does God want you to preach? I said, I don't know. So I locked myself into a room for 10 hours. My poor wife was in this house with Spanish, Hispanic people that didn't speak English, and she didn't speak Spanish. We had two kids with us, and they're running around, and it's just a whole mess for her. Bless her heart. While I locked myself in a room and refused to answer the door, I opened up Colossians chapter 1, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit hit me, and he opened up the eyes of my understanding, and I got out a notebook, and I filled an entire spiral notebook with front to back with what God was speaking to me. From Colossians 1 and 2, he took me to, next to Ephesians and took me through the Bible, and he began to give me a picture of the gospel message. I used to say my gospel had Swiss cheese, but once God did this, it made it whole, and I saw this clear picture, and I came out of it, and I said, I'm ready to preach. Something was different in me. So I'm ready to preach. He goes, what are you going to preach? I said, I'm going to preach that no flesh is justified by the works of the law. And he starts laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? He goes, no, really, what are you going to preach? I said, that's what I'm preaching. He's like, all right, we're going to have to leave town tonight. Because the church we were preaching, it was a Seventh-day Adventist church, and they believe you're justified by the works of the law. So long story short, I'm preaching about this. 
God does this miracle. He signs and wonders. People are getting healed. All this stuff happens. We get, this huge thing is happening. But you know what? It all came because I was faithful and not knowing when it looked like nothing. And when I didn't understand it, I just kept reading the word. Was I perfect? No. I kept yelling at God. I, I would blame myself. I threw my Bible repeatedly. But God is good and God is amazing. And even in the midst of our tantrums and even in the midst of our, our whatever, if we'll be faithful, he's more faithful. Just continue to come to him. Continue to seek him. Understand in your timing and his timing aren't the same because in the right time, in the right moment, he'll change your life if you will hold fast to him. And that time, that time I spent eight months was nothing for what God poured out in my life. I still preach today things I learned back there in that room. It transformed me. So I want to encourage you, now that I lied to Ebony and went long, I want to encourage you. God is amazing. There's a system of the world. We are more inundated in it than we even know. We're more connected to it than we know. And look, sometimes when God calls you to do something, I shouldn't say sometimes. I'm going to say, if it's God calling you, it will be scary. Because it takes faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Not difficult, impossible. It takes faith. But when you step in faith, you can be fully assured that God is good. And he'll take care of you. And I really believe, you know, I, I, I do mean what I say. I mean, I take a bold stance for healing. You can ask my kids. I'm really bold and radical when it comes to believing for healing. Have I been sick? Yes. But my first stop isn't the doctor. My first stop is the Lord. And in fact, you pretty much got to drag me to the doctor, and I have to be unwilling, unable to fight you. It's a true story. Ask my family. I have to pretty much be un, physically unable to fight you for you to get me to the doctor. I'm not afraid of doctors. I just have seen time and time again the great physician. And I would rather physically die and go and be with him than to back off of what he's shown me to be true in his word. Now, that's me. It didn't start there. It started with believing for some food for my family. But through a progression of time, it has transformed into something that m motivates how I make decisions.